Welcome to Standard Time. It's good to see the room full. How many of you got an extra hour of sleep last night? How many got, uh, you guys can have a seat if you want. I don't like standing up, up here, so I got to be able to see over you because I can't see over anybody in this room. Um, how many got an hour, extra hour of work or play in yesterday? Okay, so the rest of you have been sitting here for an hour wondering why church hasn't started, right? <laughs> okay, so I want to take a moment before we get back to our series in James just to acknowledge that this has been a tough week and we're in the middle of a difficult time. I, I read just this morning that up to 70% of everybody in the United States thinks that the nation is going in the wrong direction. So there's a little angst, a little fear there. The other 30% must be working for the government. And I, because I don't know anybody that's really content with the way everything's going. And, you know, last week there was a lot of buzz and excitement on Tuesday um, because the Cubs, you know, for the first time in 108 years looked like they might win the World Series. Everybody was ready to wake up all excited Wednesday morning, and then we particularly in this area got that, that devastating news of the, the officers, that, the police officers that were ambushed and killed. And you know, when, when the people that we look to to protect us that have put their lives on the line are seen to be vulnerable as well, it, it's shaking, isn't it? So we can have experience fear. We definitely experienced sorrow. I saw a lot of expressions of anger. I felt expressions of anger. You know, that this is the world that we live in. But I want to remind us, and I mean, there's any number of passages of Scripture that we could have turned to in a time like this, but let's just look at this one this morning. It says, this high priest of ours, Jesus, understands our weaknesses. For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help when we need it most. So we are in a time when we need it most. You know, the election is coming up in a couple days, and probably nobody is going to be thrilled with the outcome. Um, a few people will, but... It, it concerns us, right? It doesn't matter what, which candidate you think is best. You have concerns um, about where things are going. But we can look in a time like this to Jesus because he is one that came into this world. God the Son came into this world as a man, and he went through all, all of these types of things. He dealt with uh, bad government. He dealt with uh, people hating him. He dealt with uh, murder of his, his own self. He dealt with all of this. And yet we can now go to our Savior because he's been through it all. And we can talk to him. We can go boldly, as it says here, to the throne of our gracious God and find help in our time that we need it the most. So this might not be the time in your life when you need it the most, but as, as a whole, we probably all feel our need. Let's just Go to that throne right now in prayer before we start with our passage in James. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for 
the confidence that we have that because he has overcome the sin, the evil one, has overcome the world, the things that are opposed to you in it, that we can come to you in full confidence that we have a, a high priest that cares and knows and understands our needs. And so this morning we do that. I pray for each person in this room. I pray for our community, for those that are grieving, our nation, for this time where fear and uncertainty and anger and hatred and sorrow come out. I just pray that we would turn to you individually, that we would individually come before your throne of grace and find help when we need it most. Thank you that we have confidence in you, that you'll be there, that you'll provide wisdom, that you'll guide us through it. We pray these things and give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's go to James chapter 1. And um, hopefully you've got a Bible. There's some under the, some of the seats, or you might have one on your phone or, or electronic device, and we can um, follow along because we'll mostly be staying in this chapter, and, and we'll be going back and looking at various parts of it as well. So the, the way we broke this down at verse 27 of chapter 1 is where we start, even though we've got James chapter 2 on there, but... The ideas of verses 26 and 27 kind of carry forward to the first part of chapter 2. So I'm going to start with verse 26 of chapter 1, if you want to follow along. It says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. To keep oneself unstained from the world. So before we move on, the, the, the bridle, I, I assume everybody knows that's, I don't know exactly what that device looks like, but it's a way of controlling a very large animal that you can't otherwise control. And so we're expected to do that with our tongue. And then it says to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. It doesn't exactly mean you just go and say hi, but it means that you're there to provide help in their time of need. Um, and that... Those are our characteristics of pure religion that God respects in us. So chapter 2, it goes on, it says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing... And say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves, and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into the court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, which is you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, 
you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Okay. So, little test. What, what's, the, what's the big idea here? And there's a, a hint in the title slide here. Cleverly arrived at by Mike. Don't show favorites. Yeah, we, don't, we, we shouldn't have favorites, right? And so, in this example, he's talking about rich versus poor. I probably, you know, given my comfort level, my upbringing, I'm a little more comfortable around poor people probably than rich people, naturally. But it's still wrong for me to show favoritism to a poor person versus a rich person. In every circle of life, but certainly in the church, as, as James talks about here, it's wrong to show favoritism of one person over another. And I'm just going to jump real quick over to chapter 3 and verse 9. It says, and we'll have this next week in connection with the way we use our tongue, but it says, with our tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. So there's a truth here that everybody that's a person is made in the likeness of God. And so if we decide we're going to treat one person better than the other, we're sinning against God because there's not a person that you're going to encounter in this life who's not made in the likeness of God. And so it's hypocrisy to worship God and say how great our God is and then show favoritism towards people, right? So that, that, is, that is the big idea. Um, and so that's really kind of the, uh, the point of James all the way through is there is truth of God. And as a Christian, there's things that we say that we believe. There's also consequences of that in the way we act, right? So if we believe that we're all made in the image of God, in the likeness of God, we'll treat each other with respect and dignity and kindness, regardless of who we are. If we believe that God is in control of all things, we won't get freaked out with what's going on around us. It might make us sad. It made Jesus sad to see what was going on around him. But we won't feel out of control and hopeless and helpless in this world. So we have these things so far already in James. You know, when we're tempted to sin, we'll know that's not coming from God. I need to, I need to fight this with God on my side. Um, hearing and doing, the way we talk to each other, the way we talk about each other is all important to align with the truth that we're made in the image of God, that God is the creator and he's the source of all things. So that, you know, the, as, and as we finish, James, we'll see that, that what we believe should impact what we do. And it, this is something, you know, that... I, I get, I can think of more ways that I naturally fall into the wrong side of this teaching. I think just even at work, you know, if I'm 
sending an email sometimes and I think, well, this could come across a certain way and I better check who this is going to because you, know, you get emails and then you do a reply all because everybody needs to know what you think about this. And so I'll go along and kind of hover over each name and see what, what's their position. Are they you know, just a team leader? Are they an individual contributor? Are they a vice president? I better watch what I say. Well, that's a violation of James chapter 2 in my work life, isn't it? And actually times when I have overcome some of those preferences are times where I would say, you know, God has kind of dragged me kicking and screaming into these situations. I remember particularly a couple of kids that I used to pick up and bring to Sunday school. And, I mean, they were poor. And like I said, I don't have a problem with poor people. But they were dirty, too. And I, I didn't want to go in their house because they had pets that had the reign of the house, and nobody picked after, up after the pets, if, if you get what I'm saying. There was dirty diapers laying around, and they weren't all wrapped up nice and tidy, thrown in the garbage can. It, it was a, a dirty place. I didn't like to go there, but God caused it so their dad would come out when I bring the kids home and say, come on in, come on in. And, and so what am I supposed to do, you know? <laughs> I tried a couple times. I said, oh, I got to get back. I got to get back. But it didn't work out. And so then he took me another step and he said, come on in. And I went on in and in the middle of all this filth, it's like, well, we're celebrating a birthday. Do you want a piece of cake? So, well, well, you know, not a big fan of cake today. Um, so out comes the cake, you know, and it's on this plate, and I don't know what's been on this plate. It doesn't look like a plate. It looks like a Frisbee that the dog drank out of or something, and I, so I had to eat this cake off this plate, and I survived. See, my mom uh, was a nurse, and my dad worked in a, a factory that bottled up, manufactured and bottled up animal pharmaceuticals, so I knew very well where germs came from and what they did and how to keep them away. And I was very nervous about that. I, I was not comfortable in that situation. And maybe everybody would agree with me in those scenarios, but God made me come into that circle and show love to this family against, against what I really wanted to do, I have to, I have to confess. But no matter what it is, you know, it might not be riches or wealth or, or cleanliness or dirtiness. It, it might be the way somebody looks. Maybe they're uh, skinny, maybe they're overweight, maybe they're dressed well, maybe they're not dressed well. Maybe they're cool, maybe they're a nerd. Doesn't matter. They're all made in the likeness of God. And it's a sin to distinguish between those people in the way that we honor them and love them and treat them. So that, that's the, the big point here in James chapter 2. And I want to kind of go back through this and call out a few individual concepts, individual verses that are scattered through here because they all kind of tie into this theme of James and they all kind of tie into this example of treating people with or without preference. So the first one is religion. And that kind of surprises us sometimes, I think. Uh, but James talks about religion. And every good 
evangelical can tell you, and I'm, this is going to be a test, so everybody start listening now. Every good evangelical can tell you that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Very good partial truth. Because Christianity is a relationship with Jesus Christ. It truly is. But it's also a religion. So the definition of a religion, it's a specific, you know, this is a dictionary definition, a specific fundamental set of beliefs and practices generally agreed on by a number of persons or sects. So there's two parts of that, right? There's beliefs and there's practices. And so in our chapter, the belief is that we're created in God's likeness. We're created in God's likeness. The practice that goes along with that belief is that we should love our neighbor. It's a commandment of God. Love your neighbor because he's made in the image of God. And we need to meet their needs. As we read there, pure religion, undefiled, is to visit the widows and the orphans, to take care of the needy. So we need to meet the needs of those around us when we can and treat all people without favoritism because the fact of the matter is we're all needy people. Everybody came in this room this morning with a need. Whether you were consciously thinking about it or not, you came in with a need. And there's somebody in this room who can help you with that need. And so if we're going about our time here this morning and, and we're we're staying apart from each other because of this prejudice that we have in our hearts for whatever reason, we're going to miss that need and that meeting of that need. So religion is, is not bad. It's something that we believe in. It's something that we act in, on. And so that's what James is laying out in this whole book, the ways that our behavior lines up with what we believe in. So that, that was, religion is talked about in verses 26 and 27. I also want to talk a little bit about this royal law. And that's mentioned in verse 8. It says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, and there it is, the royal law is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You will do well. So we also like to talk about law versus grace, but there's also these commandments of God that transcend his dealings with mankind from Adam and Eve all the way down to us today. And this is one of them. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so the thought of a royal law means it's in a, it's in a place of authority. It's a place of royalty. And where did that law get its royalty? Well, Jesus basically crowned this as a royal law when he said in Matthew 23, 22, he said, you know, somebody asked him, what's the greatest commandment of God? And this is his answer. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. So he gives God that place of worship and of ascendancy and that we are to wholly give ourselves to God in every way heart, soul, mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. But then he says the other one is equal, right? So first and greatest and equal. This law to love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus elevated it to a place of royalty. And James, 
who we believe is Jesus' half-brother, carried that forward in this teaching here. This is one of the most important things you can do, is to love your neighbor as yourself, per God, our God. That, that's a key thing for us to get a hold of, this royal law. And the next thing that I want to talk about is the law of liberty, and Nick talked about this too a little bit last week because we had it in chapter 1, but it shows up again in chapter 2, and verse 12, it says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. So that, that seems like an oxymoron, right? Things that just don't quite line up. A law and liberty. Libertarians are people that say, let's get rid of as many laws as we can possibly get rid of. And so now we've got this concept of a law of liberty. How do they fit together? Well, in short, the law of liberty is, in my best way to sum it up, is God tells you what to do because he wants you free. He wants you to have liberty. So, you know, sometimes you think, oh, man, I can't steal, I can't covet, I can't commit adultery, I can't swear, all these things I can't do. Well, God didn't give you those things to say, I'm going to take all the fun out of your life and see how you like that. No, God gave us those things because he knows how we're made. And he knows that all of those things are not going to really give you liberty as you seek it. So there's a, there's a passage here in, in Romans that I want to put up here, and we'll just look at it to, to kind of demonstrate this. It says, do not let, this is from Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. It says, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So, use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. So what we learn here is in, in our natural condition, before we came to know Jesus as our Savior, we were bound, we were a servant, we were a slave. See those words, sin controlled us. Uh, it says we were serving sin, we were dead, and sin was our master. All of those things are true of sin, disobedience to God. And if you think about it, start to finish in your life, things that you struggle with perhaps that are disobedient to God, if you think about the times when you gave in and you pursued whatever it was that you knew was sin and disobedience, what was the result? Because I can, I can pretty much tell you if you looked at it objectively, if you're far enough down the road, you're going to say, that, that was not good. That was not good. I didn't feel good after I did that. I felt guilt, or I felt shame, or I felt uh, remorse. You know, I, I ruined a relationship. I betrayed the trust of the people that are important to me. I walked around all day feeling guilty and afraid that somebody might find out what I did. 
that's not, that's not liberty, that's bondage. That's coming under the mastery of sin, and God doesn't want you there. That's not why he sent Jesus into this world to bear all of that sin in his body on the cross. That's not why he gave you a way by faith in his son, Jesus Christ, to be free from sin. Not just from the penalty of sin. You know, it's not just all about heaven. It's about today. It's about the way we live our lives today. And um, I would try to quote it, but there's a switchfoot song that says, why would I wait till I die to come alive? Why do, you, why do we want to do that? You know, sometimes we talk about that. It's like, well, I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to be in heaven. So I'm just going to kind of coast along. I'm going to live it up here. And then when I get to heaven, I'm going to be saved. Why? Why not be free now? That's what God wants for you. That's what he wants for me. And so he wants us to pursue this law that's called the law of liberty here in our chapter. Um, the next subject, and I know I'm kind of bouncing around here, but they're all part of the passage. And so I wanted to cover some of these things because sometimes, you know, the way we think about Christianity, we eliminate some of these subjects, and they're scary because this one is about judgment. Verse 13, it says, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. So, you might be saying, well, I'm saved. I put my trust in Jesus. He's my Savior. He bore the penalty of my sins. I'm not going to bear the penalty of my sins. And that's true. And I'm glad if you've laid hold of that truth. But there's more to this concept of judgment than whether you spend eternity in heaven or hell. And so let's, we're going to read these verses from 1 Corinthians 3 because it, it kind of elaborates on this judgment that's talked about here, I believe. And it goes right along with James and the concept of how our works play into our Christianity. And it says, if anyone builds on the foundation, Jesus Christ, and just for the context of this of these verses, Paul is talking about the fact that he, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, has been teaching them what Christianity is about. Okay, so he's been laying this foundation. He received special revelations from God, and he wrote down most of what we have in the New Testament. Pretty much the majority of what we know about the church as God sees it comes from Paul. So he's saying, I've been laying this foundation and it really is Jesus Christ. I'm building on it. He says, so if anyone builds on the foundation, because he's talking about the fact that there's other people that are involved in this kind of work for Jesus, says if you're building with gold, silver, precious stones, and then there's a little change here, wood, hay, straw. We might build with wood, but we don't typically build with hay or straw. Um, brings back images of the three little pigs, right? How did the sticks and the, the hay work out? Not so well. They had to run to the brick house. So how did we build on that foundation? It says, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. 
If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. Okay, so this judgment that we're talking about is not the judgment of where are you as a person going to spend eternity. It's talking about what is this stuff that you've been building with your life and like it or not, we're all building with our lives, with the choices we make every day. Some things align really well with this foundation of Jesus Christ. Some things don't align so well with that. And that's, that's kind of the point of James. You know, what, what are you building on top of this foundation of Jesus? Does it, does it align well? Because if it doesn't, it gets a little shifty, even in the process. But he's saying, and one day, fire is going to come. And it's going to test every single thing that you've built on this foundation of salvation. And those things that, that weren't appropriate, they're going to be gone. Where else would we want them? Would we want to bring those things to heaven with us? No, we don't want those things in heaven with us. So God's going to purge those out, test them. If they're not good, they're gone. If they're good, there's going to be a reward coming out of that that lasts for eternity. And so this thought of judgment, it's a good thing to live in light of. And it, it says, uh, live, um, says in verse 12, so speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. So when we talk and when we act, we should think about what we're saying, think about what we're doing, and see if it aligns. If it's going to stand that test that God's going to, to give it in that day, and sometimes we refer to that as the judgment seat of Christ. And it's not going to be a time where we feel attacked, where we feel rejected. It's a time where the things that were in our life that shouldn't have been are going to be properly taken away and gone. Gone forever, never to come back again. And we're going to have full confidence that they'll never come back again because we're going to see them gone. And we're going to see the things that we have tried to do in alignment with Jesus Christ and his character, take on a value long beyond the life that we've lived. So, I just wanted to kind of talk through that end to end with you, and I, I hope I don't lose you. It makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> so, religion. We said religion is a set of beliefs and practices, right? Things that we do because of what we believe. So it starts with a belief. There's a commandment of God called a law here. And on top of that, we can choose to obey. As believers in Christ, we can choose to obey what he's told us to do. We have that option. And when we choose to obey, that gives us liberty in our lives. We have freedom because we're not feeling guilt. We're not feeling tied up and, and fearful of, of our sin. And then when it comes to the judgment, those works of obedience bring gain. So, for lack of a better symbol, a pile of gold, you know, that, that's shiny and pure. There's another route we can take, you know, we have this belief, we have the commandment of God, we can choose to disobey. And so the works coming out of that lead us into bondage or slavery. And and interestingly enough, here in James chapter 2, James talks about the fact that, you know, those rich people that you are showing preference to, 
did you forget that those are the ones that hauled you off to prison? Brought you to court? See, he's writing this book. If we go back to the first verse, he's writing it to Jews who had become Christians, and they had been persecuted there in Jerusalem, and they had gone out to escape the persecution, but the people that were persecuting them were Jews that were in this position of being wealthy and Romans that were in this position of being wealthy. So here the very people that they're trying to impress are the people that are, are trying to conform them to their own image. And that's any kind of preference and favoritism we show will eventually lead us there. You know, I think we've all experienced it, whether it's at work or at school, um, in our neighborhoods, when we're trying to impress somebody, we have to bring our own selves into a box that we weren't made to fit in. So favoritism will turn you into somebody that you weren't made to be. Um, so that disobedience leads us into slavery. And then when the judgment comes, there's loss, right? It's, it's burned up. So that part of our life is gone. And we want it gone if that's what it, what it consisted of too, right? So, but as a reminder, the end of that verse that we had says he himself will be saved. And so, after the judgment, I, I don't know if we're going to have wings and halos, if, but the idea is this is what's left after that judgment. So is this something that you want to be a part of? I think I do, because what's left is us, redeemed children of God, and everything that we did in our whole life that was done in obedience to God is going to be with us for all eternity in the presence of God, bringing honor and glory to his name. Did you know in Revelation it talks about how Jesus is going to come back into this world one day to become king over the whole world? And the clothing there is the righteousness of the saints. So the things that we do today that are done in obedience to God are going to last for eternity. And not only that, but they're, Jesus is going to wear them. We are going to wear them as a glorious garment for eternity. Does that inspire you to obey? <laughs> Does that make you feel excited about what God's telling you to do? Not only in this life can you have liberty from it, but for all eternity, those works that we do in obedience to God are going to last, and they're going to last forever. So I've got the shadow of the cross there, and that's really where we come into this position of, of confidence that we will stand for eternity in the presence of God in blessing. And this morning we have uh, the bread and the juice up here, and we're going to have a time where you come forward, there's a table in the back too, come forward or go to that table and participate. Take the bread and remember that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we don't have to bear the punishment of sin. So when we come to that day of judgment, we're not worried about where am I going to spend eternity? We already know. And that's because Jesus on the cross died and paid the penalty of our sins. And then when we take the juice, 
it's a reminder of his blood that was shed. You know, the, the Old Testament says, the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there's no payment for sin. Now, the band, you can come up. I guess I'm going to wrap up here. But that without Jesus' blood, there's no payment for that sin. So we would have to worry about being on the line for that account of our sins. But we don't. And so this morning, as you come up and you take the bread and you take the juice, remember. That's the purpose of it. Remember Jesus. Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me. So let's just give thanks for it this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you for bearing our sins in your body on the cross. Thank you for giving us a, a future that's secure, for giving us an eternity to look forward to in your presence. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the new life that you've given us that enables all of this. I just thank you this morning for the bread and for the juice and what it stands for. I pray that as we come forward and partake of it as redeemed children of God, that our hearts would be filled with thanksgiving and remembrance of you. I just pray in your name, Lord Jesus. So the challenge this week is going to just come straight from our chapter. It says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. So this week, particularly, as you go about your daily life, think about all the people that you see and think about the fact that every single one of them is made in the image of God. How does that affect the way you talk to them? How does that affect the way you treat them? And then that will be a lifestyle that brings you into liberty. Let's just close in prayer before we sing the last song. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our Savior. Thank you for every individual that's here this morning. And I just pray for your richest blessing on them. Help us to take what we believe and put it into our lives. To take it to our street, to the people that we will see and talk to even as we're leaving this room. Thank you for the liberty that you've brought us into through Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.